Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. It's a privilege for me to stand before you and open God's Word and unpack God's Word. And just want to say, I don't take this lightly. I mean, Scripture is pretty clear in James chapter 3, verse 1, that those who teach will be judged to a stricter level or stricter standard with greater strictness. And in saying that, I'm still so grateful that God has called me to, to this high honor of, um, of preaching His Word. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Just before I get into this morning's sermon and the title of this morning's message is Gideon's Rescue Mission. But before I get into that, I just want <clears throat> to just briefly touch on um, last Sunday. Last Sunday, Pete looked at the story of Gideon as well. And um, he particularly looked at the topic of hearing God's voice. And I just want to share a little bit from my personal perspective. And I've had a chat um, this weekend with Pete just to say that I'm going to share some of my perspective. And he felt that it would be helpful. Um, The thing about hearing God's voice is, and let me put it like this, it's not a matter of orthodoxy, but a matter of ecclesiology and hermeneutics. And what do I mean by that? Pete and I, Pete and you, may have varying convictions on what it means to hear God's voice, and neither of us can be unbiblical. And we can, we can disagree on certain things, we can have opinions that may slightly differ, and neither of us are unbiblical. Why? Because hearing God's voice is not a matter of orthodoxy, it's a matter of ecclesiology, the study, the, the theology of church, and hermeneutics, our biblical interpretation of what certain scriptures mean. Now, I wanted to touch on last Sunday because for some, it may have been like I needed to hear the sermon, I needed clarity. For others, it might have been a little jarring. And that's why Pete started off by saying this could be offensive to some people. But I wanted to first and foremost say I'm not standing up to say that Pete was unbiblical. He was not unbiblical at all. And a lot of his sermon I would absolutely agree with. But I did want to share personally just some of my perspectives to maybe bring a little bit of balance. And some of you may disagree or agree with me, and it's okay, because it's not a matter of orthodoxy. The first thing I wanted to say is, just like Pete, I believe that God speaks specifically and generally. And I believe God speaks generally through His Word. I believe He speaks generally through our conscience. I believe He speaks generally through creation. But God also speaks specifically. And maybe unlike Pete, I believe God speaks specifically quite often and fairly regularly. I believe all prophetic words, I believe prophetic pictures, I believe dreams, I believe words of knowledge, even words of wisdom. When God puts something in someone's heart to share to somebody else, I believe that is God speaking specifically to that person. And I believe it should be a regular occurrence, particularly in the life of a local church. I believe God wants to regularly speak to his children specifically for the building up, encouragement and comfort of his children. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. So, so all that to say, be encouraged, and this was Pete's heart as well as I chatted with him this weekend. Be encouraged, not discouraged, to seek after God's voice, to operate in spiritual gifts, and to be a blessing to build up, to encourage, and to cheer up and comfort our local church family. 
I also just wanted to, to, to re-emphasize, and Pete actually said this would be something good to re-emphasize, and, and it was the spectrum that he shared around um, hearing God's voice, and, and you could be on one extreme where you would be gullible, and every single little thing is God speaking, which I don't believe every little thing is God speaking, or you could be on the other extreme, and, and that extreme he labeled cynicism, so he labeled gullible and cynicism. And I just wanted to, I guess, give a quick word of encouragement to, to, to both camps or to both sort of baskets. And if you are, if you lean to the, the basket of gullible, which is what Pete labeled it, my encouragement to you is continue to passionately seek after God's voice. Continue to seek after the spiritual gifts. But when you do believe God has given you a word, like Pete said, be careful how you frame that. We never want to misrepresent God. But your job is to be faithful and obedient to what you believe God is saying. And your job is to, is to obediently and faithfully share that. But be careful how you frame it. My encouragement would be, share a word, submit it to the person and say, Hey, please, I encourage you, go to God, go to the wise counsel around you and discern whether this is a word of God or not. But step out in faith and be willing to obey what you believe God is saying. And it's their job to discern if it is God and, and, and the timing of the word with wise counsel and the elders if needed. But at the end of the day, and I've written it here, your job is to be faithful to what you believe God is saying. Now, very quickly, for those that may be closer to the, and I've, I've fluctuated between two in the last 25 years of my life. Although when I was 12, I didn't even think about this stuff. So maybe the last five years of my life. For those who maybe are closer to the basket of cynical, like Pete said, it's not healthy. It's not helpful for you or for the local church. And if someone brings a word and it does make you cringe, and I've probably made you cringe many times, but my encouragement is take that to God. Don't take that to other people. And after taking it to God, if there's still something in you, I encourage you speak to an elder, but please don't talk to others. Because if anything, it's not helpful, it's not healthy, and it can easily lead to gossip, it can lead to being divisive in nature, and that dishonors God. So that's my quick encouragement to both camps. I think cynicism can be one of the quickest ways to grieve the person of the Holy Spirit and to quench the work of the Spirit in a local church. And the last thing, and Pete nailed this on the head, it is such a fine line and a tricky tension between wanting to be in a local church community that is so open to people wanting to obey God and what he, they believe he's saying to them and this environment be open and with humility and grace and love want to receive those words yet also have a high standard to honor God and to make sure that we are not misrepresenting the nature of our God. It's a fine line. I wish I had the answer. But my encouragement is this. If, if you believe God has put a word on your heart, your job is to be faithful and obedient. Submit it in humility. Don't play the God card. Submit it in humility and say it's your job to discern. Speak with wise counsel. Talk to the elders. And you discern if this is from God and, and what the timing might be. But let's not allow fear or discouragement to stop us from stepping out in faith if we do believe God has put something on our hearts. And my word would be different if we were a church that was wild and swinging from the chandeliers. I would be like Paul in Corinthians. I would be trying to bring far more order 
But we aren't a church that errs to the side of chaotic and wild. And so the encouragement is to let's seek after this more. Let's not try and rein it in. That's all I'll say on that. So hopefully you hear my heart. And uh, let me pray and we'll get straight into Gideon. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that I have to unpack the book of Judges a little bit more. And I ask that your anointing would be so evident as your word is preached. Help me and help us receive all that you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn with me to Judges chapter 6? Like Pete mentioned last Sunday, there are so many different lessons and, and themes and topics that we could pull out of this story. And like I mentioned, Pete obviously looked at the topic of hearing God's voice as we see the angel of the Lord speak to Gideon. But like I mentioned earlier, the message title this morning is Gideon's Rescue Mission. So we're looking at a completely different lesson and, and, and meaning within this historical narrative of Judges. So Judges 16, verse 14. Judges 6, sorry. Judges 6, verse 14 to 16. And the Lord, that's the angel of the Lord, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord, that's again, the angel of the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We'll pause there for a moment. So we're continuing in the story of Gideon. And this morning, my heart is simply this. That we would, that we would see from his life that God is in the business of calling, cleansing and commissioning his people. That's the simple basis of this morning's message. There are multiple, multiple examples throughout Scripture. One example being Isaiah, where God called, cleansed, and commissioned the prophet Isaiah to go and speak to his people. And let's quickly look at that passage, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. And he continues, Like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Jonah and others, Gideon was called, cleansed, and commissioned to go and rescue God's people. God called Gideon to the rescue mission of saving Israel from the Midianites. And like we saw, and Pete read through the whole chapter, Gideon questions God. He questions this call, and he, and he, and he asks for a sign. Can you confirm? Can you confirm that I'm truly called to this thing? And the angel of the Lord delivers a sign. We see at the altar and there's a meal prepared and he brings fire down and he confirms that this is in fact the angel of the Lord. I am the angel of the Lord and this is what God is calling you to. But before Gideon was commissioned to go to the Midianite camp, defeat the Midianites and rescue the Israelites, God requires him 
to cleanse his household of idolatry. A few verses later in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon obeys God. He takes some of his men and he goes and destroys the altar of Baal, he cuts down the Asherah, and he builds an altar of worship to the one true living God. Now, idolatry, and and I've touched on that a few sermons ago, but idolatry is the worship of anything other than God. So when Gideon goes with his men, destroys the altar of Baal, cuts down the Asherah, he is cleansing his household of idolatry and worshiping God. And very briefly, the story continues. The men of the town are not happy at all. They want to kill Gideon, but Gideon's dad defends him. The story continues where Gideon then wants God to further confirm whether he's truly called him to rescue the Israelites. And he puts, he lays out a fleet, a fleece a couple times. And remember, historical narrative, it's telling us what has happened, not necessarily telling us what should have happened. The lesson is not to go and lay out a fleece and continue to test God. The lesson from this and other parts of Scripture is God is so trustworthy and faithful, we don't need to test Him, we just need to obey Him. That's the lesson. We don't need to lay out a fleece. God then shrinks Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. Primarily because, like Pete said last week, God is the hero of the story, not Gideon. It was God and only God who could bring victory for the Israelites. And to wrap up, just summarizing the story, God then commissions Gideon, when the time is right, to go down to the Midianite camp with 300 of his soldiers and with a little bit of trumpet blowing and jaws smashing and soldiers confused, the Israelites defeat the Midianites. And in doing so, God rescues his people from the oppression of the Midianites. As God called, cleansed, and commissioned Gideon to rescue the Israelites, I believe, and this is the whole premise of this morning's message, I believe God calls, cleanses, and commissions his church to rescue the world. As God called, cleansed and commissioned Gideon to rescue the Israelites. God calls, cleanses, and commissions the church to rescue the world. So point number one, if you're taking notes, called to the rescue. It's the first point this morning, called to the rescue. Charles Spurgeon, and I want to say it's Charles Spurgeon and not me, so you can be upset with him. He says every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let's go to scripture because it's better than Charles Spurgeon and maybe a little kinder as well. Luke chapter 19 verse 10. 
For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. God the Son became man to seek and to save the lost. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to follow the example of Jesus and do the same. That's what a follower of Jesus does. He follows his master. You've probably already read the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. Not just decisions, but disciples. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time because God became man for no other purpose. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 onwards again, number one, called to the rescue. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. If I'm not fishing, I must ask myself, am I truly following If we aren't fishing for men, and if you go out fishing, and send, me a, send me an invite. I'll give you free burley. If I'm not fishing, I must ask myself, am I truly following? Mark chapter 16. I want scripture to speak to us, not just me coming up with some ideas. Verse 15 onwards, and he, Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jump to verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Like Gideon was called to rescue the Israelites, the church is called to the rescue of the world. And just lastly on point one, if you are not convinced yet, allow William Booth to gently nudge you. He's quoted saying, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join in the march to publish his mercy to the world. It's William Booth, founder of Salvation Army. Number one, called to the rescue. And later in this message, you'll realize, I, this, I'm preaching at myself. Number two, if you're taking notes, cleansing of idolatry. 
Again, bringing it back to the story of Gideon, because these are the lessons we're pulling out. Like God required Gideon to cleanse his household of idolatry, God calls the church to cleanse themselves from idolatry as well. We are called to the rescue mission, and like I said a few weeks ago, but idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. I truly believe that. 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, again, this is personal. I'm sharing personal perspective now. I don't believe Gideon would have obeyed God and rescued the Israelites from Midian unless he took down the altar of Baal. That's my personal belief. I truly believe that. Now, you might think, Liam, does that mean God won't use us if we're stuck in idolatry? Good question. God in his infinite wisdom and grace seems to still use his people even in their mess. But why I say idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction is because God, how do I want to say this? Our idolatry will not stop God from using us, but it will stop us from allowing God to use us. God won't necessarily stop using his people. That's why God seemingly throughout scripture, throughout history, seems to love to use broken people to do big things. He just does. However, my point is this. Why the mission will malfunction is not because God will stop using you, but because you will stop allowing God to use you. Because in idolatry, our hearts are turned from God. Our response will no longer be, here am I, send me. Our heart attitude will be so me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, will be so focused on ourselves. Our idolatry will turn us, will turn us away from God and will stop us from being used by God. Not necessarily because God says, well, you, you, you've, you've fallen short of my mark. I'm going to put you in the do not use category. I don't believe God necessarily does that. He may. I don't want to box him. But I think it's the individual that stops him from using them. And that's why I say the mission will malfunction because of idolatry. None of us are perfect, yet God seems to still use us. I hope and my faith says God will use me this morning and I'm not perfect at all. Charles Spurgeon again, he said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And he says at this present moment, and that would have, if I, my church history, is that 1600s, 1800s, Spurgeon? The 1800s? And that present moment, and we're in 2023. The world has so much influence over the church, and we wonder why the church has so little influence over the world. Lord, help us. Help us here at the village church. Help me, Lord Jesus, please. D.L. Moody said, before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray him to empty us. And a few sermons ago where I looked at cultural compromise. Cultural compromise is so easy and subtle. 
And over time, we become accustomed, we become attracted, and we begin to adopt the cultural idols around us. It is easy, it is subtle, it's happened in my life, and no doubt it has happened in your life as well. And before I see in Acts 4 where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and had boldness to continue to speak His Word with boldness, before we ask, before I go to God and say, Lord, fill me with your boldness to speak your Word, I want to take the advice from D.L. Moody and say, Lord, empty me of my idolatry. Cleanse this household, Lord. That's point number two, cleansing of idolatry. I know it's kind of a heavy word, but I want to preach like it's my last. Point number three, commission to go as ministers. Like God commissioned Midian to go to the, commissioned Gideon to go to the Midianite camp, rescue the Israelites. God has commissioned his church to go as ministers and rescue the world. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 14 onwards. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because Christ has rescued us, we are now commissioned and given this call to rescue others. Christ has commissioned us to be ministers of reconciliation. And as ambassadors for Christ, as you and I, as the church, is called to represent Jesus and all of heaven here on earth, we are called to represent him as ministers those who attend to the needs of others. That's the definition of a minister, someone who attends to the needs. And we're talking about an eternal salvation need, primarily but not exclusively. We are commissioned to go as ministers and implore the world to be reconciled to God. And the question we see, or the question we can pull from what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, Liam, am I controlled by the love of Christ? Are we controlled by the love of Christ? Because if we're not, we won't go as ministers. Do I live for myself still? Because if I still live for myself, I will not go as a minister into this world. Lord, help us be controlled by your love. Help us to no longer live for ourselves, but live for you who for our sake died and was raised.
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill his ministry. Now, again, disclaimer, I'm not reading scripture now. To my best understanding, Timothy was an elder in the local church. He was an elder in the church. And from what I've seen and and see in scripture and have read, I would say, to the best of my understanding, that he would have been functioning as a pastor teacher, primarily, and as an elder in the local church. I don't believe Timothy was operating in the office of an evangelist. Yet the apostle Paul instructs him to do the work of an evangelist. Now, why do I give some of that context? I believe that every single person who follows Jesus is called to do the work of an evangelist, regardless of your function, regardless of your role, regardless of the exact gifts God has called you to and given you. We are all called to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was eldering, he was pastoring, he was teaching, yet he was called to do the work of an evangelist. Whatever your role and function is, we all are called to do the work of an evangelist. Lord, help us. Charles Spurgeon said, and he said a few fiery things. And I want, let's, let's hear the heart in this, because I don't want this making us question salvation. But Charles Spurgeon said, the great question is not, will not the heathen be saved if we do not send them the gospel? But are we saved ourselves if we do not send them the gospel? Now, I don't believe that's Charles Spurgeon trying to get people to question their salvation, but I think it is him trying to create this urgency in people that as followers of Jesus, and if we have received this free gift of grace, and if we have ourselves been rescued, then surely, surely, surely we would have this desire for others to be rescued as well. Lord, create this desire in me. Create this desire in us, Lord, I ask. And just in closing, just a, I guess I phrase it a pastoral word, especially after all those Spurgeon quotes. The first thing I want to say is, go in the strength you do have. We see in verse 14 of chapter 6 where the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, go in the strength you have. Or go in this might that's yours. As God told Gideon to go in the strength he had, I believe God would say to you and I, go in the strength you do have. You don't need to have it all together. You don't need to have gone through a school of evangelism. All those things are helpful. Being equipped and trained is helpful. But go in the strength you do have. Because you're going with me. The second thing I'd say. Go with urgency. Cole Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That's convicting. That's confronting. There's an urgency because people's eternities are at stake. And let me just say it because it's 2023 and some people now dispute this, but every human being who does not trust in the blood of Jesus to cover them and forgive them of their sin will one day face the wrath of God and an eternity separate from God in a place called hell. That's just a fact. 
There is an urgency, church. And the last thing I'd say is, take the pressure off. It was Billy Graham, Billy, Billy Graham once said, we are not called to be successful in evangelism, but we are called to be faithful in evangelism. Our job is not to necessarily be successful, but our job is to be faithful. And that's the encouragement. Take the pressure off. Your call, your responsibility, my responsibility is to step out in faith, faithful obedience, reach out, love the hurting, pray for the sick, share my testimony, tell people about Jesus, represent him as best as I can in my marketplace. But it is the job of God. He is the one who draws people to himself. He is the one who rescues people, but he uses his church here on earth. Be faithful. Don't don't necessarily need to be successful. So just in closing, like I mentioned earlier, I am preaching this to myself, church. I prepared this message seeking the heart of God as best as I could. But I prepared it as if I would be sitting right there and I wanted someone to preach this truth to me. I need God's help in this. We all need God's help in this. So please, I hope it has not come across as I'm preaching this truth because I'm living it 24-7 and I've found victory and look at my example and imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm preaching this message as if I would be sitting right there saying, what? And I almost never wanted to, I almost wanted to pick one of the other multiple things I could have learned from the life of Gideon because it always seems in the last little while, there's this thing stirring me and every time I preach, it seems like I keep bringing my preaching back to the mission of God and I'm like, oh, well, the people have heard about that now, like surely they need something else. Sure. And I felt God convict me as I sat on my bed prepping part of this message. And I felt God convict me straight in my heart and say, Liam, has anything changed in you yet? I wanted to find a different topic because I don't want to keep being repetitive and people might be like, man, if you need new content, like go to ChatGPT or something. Like you can get sermons for free online. And I felt God convict me. He says, but has anything changed yet, Liam? Has anything changed in you? Has anything changed in the village yet? And if it has, please, we'd love to hear testimonies. My heart and my hope is that every single Sunday, there'll be at least two testimonies of walking this out. One from me because I'm forcing myself to step out and one from somebody else. And even when we see gospel transformation take place in our own lives and through our lives, I'm still going to preach this truth because we're forgetful. And I felt God's loving correction saying, well, Liam, you've grown heaps in your preaching of the gospel from the pulpit, but what about at the gym? This is just me being open. 
God bringing conviction, loving correction to his, children, to his child. You've grown in your ability to preach the gospel from the pulpit, but what about at the gym? That's, gen- that's the, thought I, the thought I never, just randomly, not in my imagination, but in my brain. Not an audible voice, but I truly felt just the conviction of God. Because on Tuesday, and I thought this would be the angle I went, on Tuesday I'm at the gym and I'm sparring with a young guy by the name of Max. And he said, oh, at his previous class in Muay Thai, he copped one in the eye and it's still sore and it's blurry. And my first thought was, let me pause. Let me pray for his eye. Let's trust God for his power to be made known. Heal his eye. And then that's just the sign that he needs to just share the gospel. Because he knows I'm a pastor. He knows I've talked about Jesus. But And my next thought was, what if his eye doesn't get healed and I have to keep standing in front of him and like sparring with them? That's going to be awkward. And the fear of man won in that moment. Lord, help us. I just wanted to show you that I preach this in humility because I haven't got it all together. But Lord, help me. Could I ask us all to stand to our feet, please, as I just pray? Father God, as we stand before you as your people, we thank you first and foremost for your son. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you that you would rescue us. And Lord, we thank you, even if sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, we thank you that you've now called us to rescue this world through your power. Father, I ask that you would forgive me and that you'd forgive us. Lord, where complacency and fear have stopped us and hindered us from your commissioning to go as ministers. Forgive us, Lord, where idolatry, cultural compromise has caused the mission to malfunction. Forgive us. Lord, and I ask that, God, you would do a deep work in me, that you would do a deep work in us, even now as we stand before you, that, Lord God, there would be a shift, that fear would go, that clarity on the call would come and that there'd be this deep conviction in us that, Lord, we are Christians, which means we are missionaries, which means we are ministers of reconciliation. Help us, Lord, to be fishers of men. Lord, there is a dying world. Do a work in us now, I ask in Jesus' name.